Welcome everybody to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here. And we have part two of Michelle's story for you today. If you didn't listen to last week's episode that released on Friday, Michelle's first part of this story, you may want to do that first. We left off with Michelle telling us that um, she was grateful for what she had learned in recovery and at the center to prepare her for the next stage of her life, which she'll explain here. I hope you enjoy and keep the tissues close like last time. What was coming next, Michelle? I was sentenced to state prison on November 30th of 2017 for my grand larceny. Um, My first offer from the DA was five to 15 years. My second offer was three to nine. My final offer, which is what the judge sentenced me to, was two to six years in state prison. I was accused of stealing over $800,000 from my employer. I can say that that is a completely inflated amount. However, I am guilty of charges. I am completely guilty. I have taken full responsibility for everything that I did. And I did right from the beginning. It was a relief because I couldn't live that lie anymore. It was killing me. Um, And I was grateful to have it over. I took full responsibility. Um, I was sentenced to prison on November 30th, 2017. Wasn't quite prepared. No, that that day was crazy. None of Um, us thought you were leaving us. Uh, We were hoping for probation, but that didn't happen, obviously, with the dollar amount that they accused me of. You know, we had lunch reservations for after court that day. Uh, And instead, I was taken out in handcuffs and taken to Albany County, uh, where I stayed for four days. And then I was transferred to Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, which is the reception area for all women for New York State prisons. And from there, they do their intake and then they determine where you will go from there you either stay at bedford um, which is a maximum security facility or you go to albion correctional facility out in western new york or taconic which is literally across the street from bedford which are the two medium facility medium security facilities for women in new york state there's nothing there's nothing considered minimum anymore it's either maximum or medium um I was supposed to be in Bedford for probably two weeks. That's the typical amount of time for reception. But I had a terrible counselor, which is not uncommon. And I wound up staying in the maximum security facility for three months. And it was the biggest nightmare you could have ever imagined. But I went to church on Sundays and I surrounded myself with people who went to church and I prayed, and I had a lot of support from home, so I survived. And the lessons that I learned at the center, which helped me gain back my strength and my sense of self, helped me survive. I can't imagine, cannot imagine where I would have been if not for the work that I did on myself for that year. That was one of the biggest gifts I had ever been given. 
Um, you took it one step further and you had your own way of that three meetings a week, right? When you were, I old. did, I did for the entire 20 months that I was away. Um, I wrote three letters a week to the group just as if I were sitting in my meeting because I had perfect attendance, mind you. Um, <laughs> December 2nd of 2016 till November 30th of 2017, I attended three meetings a week. I never missed a meeting. And I was going to carry that through with me while I was incarcerated. And that's what I did. Whether or not they were all read, it was a lot of gibberish, but it still was my check-in every, every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Saturday, I wrote my letters. And it was my salvation and my thankfully my family and my friends were of the greatest support and the center you know you guys came to visit you sent me money you funded my commissary you sent me art supplies uh anything i needed all i had to do was make a phone call and it would be there i was one of the fortunate ones i really was it wasn't it wasn't like you see on TV. I mean, I'm not going to say it was pleasant, but it's not as bad as you see on TV. You have to just be smart. And thankfully, I do have some of a brain. Um, you keep your head down and you surround yourself with people who are trying to make the best of their time and you'll survive. And I did. I think what is so profound is you're not a gangster you're not you know a traditional what i think we imagine women in prison like you said you brought up the mm -hmm. tv you're literally the business professional in the cubicle next door you know that's doing all the right things mm -hmm. um but the, but the gambling's in the background stealing it all from you mm -hmm. so it just blows my mind. And, and again, I get to know you personally, but you're not who I expect to see in prison. Mm -hmm. I just kind of want to paint that picture and <laughs> share a little of your experience in there. Cause I thought, I thought you did a, a, a great job surviving. Like you said, you wrote your letters. Um, you shared with us some other like pretty ingenious things with food and, and, and yeah. stuff. So I like that story. And then, if I could also lead you down the road of how did the prison system help you to recover as a gambling addict? Oh, yes. Well, you know, prison is all about rehabilitation, right? Okay, sure. Um, the, <laughs> as I actually mentioned in my parole board meeting, um, when they asked me uh, what prison did for me as far as rehabilitation for my gambling addiction, I said, well, prison does offer one option. I can go to bingo. And the parole board commissioner said, uh, Ms. Quentin, did you go to bingo? And I said, no, I did not because it's gambling. And he said, is it now? I said, it most certainly is. And the fact that they don't recognize that it's gambling, it's really interesting, but there's nothing in prison for gambling addicts, nothing but bingo. Um, unfortunately, there's not even Narcotics Anonymous at Albion Correctional Facility. There is alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, 
There's AA, but there's no NA, surprisingly. There's certainly no GA. I took uh, walking the 12 steps with Jesus. Uh, I was very involved in the church. My job was, my first job there actually was as a clerk for the chaplain. So that was a blessing there. Um, but as far as rehabilitation for my addiction in prison, no, that was on me to make sure that I could do what I could. And thankfully I had the resources that I could turn to. I had the center. I could make a phone call. I had the support. I could write my letters. There's plenty of women in prison who I spoke to um, when I got sent to drug rehab and saying, I don't drink or have never done drugs, but was sent to drug rehab because my counselor said that I told her I had a drinking problem and that's why I gambled. Okay. Um, and again, another misconception. So, um, while I was in drug rehab, I did have the opportunity to talk to a lot of women who were there for drugs and alcohol and talk about gambling addiction at every single opportunity I had at every meeting, um, every group thing we did. And they talked about their drug use and their alcohol use. And I talked about my gambling addiction. And I've, I had women come to me after these meetings and say, yeah, do you have any literature about that gambling thing? Because I, I think I might have that problem too. So I was able to bring some awareness and that helped me because again, I can't keep my recovery if I don't pay it forward. So I felt at least I was doing something good while I was there. But as far as them, the prison system offering any rehabilitation, no, not for gambling. I'm sorry to say there's nothing there. Well, hopefully we'll change the world on things like yeah, that. Wouldn't that be great? You're being so brave. Well, you said something about, so you're, you, you had your sentence mm -hmm. and there was certain, if you wanted to try to be, you know, the model prisoner and get out earlier, there was some options, right? Didn't you have some options on how yes. to? Yeah. yeah, I did. I, um, my sentence was two to six. So I had to serve a minimum of 20 months because you get two months off per year for good behavior. You are, you have to meet in front of the parole board. You have to, you know, you, you really do have to be a model inmate. Um, I didn't get into any trouble. I didn't get a, they have big tickets. So if you get caught smoking or obviously doing anything you're not supposed to be doing, you get a ticket. Um, I was fortunate enough to live in the honor dorm. Um, after I worked for the chaplain, I worked at the front gate, which is a very, you know, it's a good job to have in prison where it's a trusted position. Um, so all of those things held favor for me. Uh, the fact that I still was, in, I had support at home and I had, I actually had a job to come home to my former employer, not the employer I took money from the employer I went to work for while I was waiting to be sentenced, who, by the way, hired me knowing of my sentence, knowing that I had this hanging over my head. It was a not-for-profit not, not in Albany, but they were willing to take that chance with me because that's what they were all about. Um, they had promised to give me a job upon my release. So I had all of these positive things going into my parole board meeting. I had letters of support from the community, from, from the center, from my family, from my friends, from this job. So I had all of these things in place and I prepared for my parole board meeting and I prepared to make the best of it because I wanted to come home. 
Um, and I was granted parole. So I served 20 months of a two to six year sentence. So I'm currently on parole. Um, I will be on parole unless I'm released early until November of 2023. Um, I'm hoping to be released early, but we'll see. I'm doing all of the things I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, we'll see. I was released in July of 2019. Um, I went to, well, I was in Albion Correctional Facility. And in April of 2019, I went to Edgecombe Correctional Facility, which is in New York City. Uh, to a work release program, which allowed me to come home a few days a week and look for work and then travel back to prison, uh, which was a very interesting experience. But one I'm grateful for because I was fortunate enough to find the job of my dreams, which is the job I have now. Um, I couldn't take the job that I had at my previous employer that they had offered me upon my release because parole felt that I shouldn't be working in a capacity of helping others. It was a re-entry program. And because I was fresh out of prison, it wasn't a good fit for me, they felt. Um, so I had to continue my search. And I do work for another nonprofit in Albany and I am beyond grateful for it. It's If I thought my previous job was great, this one has it 10 times over. So I feel that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Um, I love my job. I love my agency. I love every single thing about it. Even my parole officer is amazed. She's like, nobody does this. This is amazing. This is wonderful. So it's good. You know, it's, it's okay. I survived. It's good. I think what I love about your story is you going from start to finish, you did the work, right? Mm -hmm from the time you got to the center to when you were in prison to when you were on that work release to now you did the work. I think some of, some of my experience with addicts is some entitlement, right? Well, I got out of prison and I should have a job or I should get out early or blah, blah. you know, like there's mm -hmm. this entitlement factor that comes with being an addict and it's not really the people it's the addiction speaking. Mm -hmm. What you did, um, I was in a meeting where a peer of ours was like speaking to the fact of how quickly things had happened for you and, and you were on different journeys, but the, like, how did, how did Michelle pull this off? Like, how did she get a job before me? Or, you know, those kinds of things, it doesn't, it doesn't seem natural. And it goes back to what I said, you're that girl in the cubicle next door to some degree. However, you put in the time, the energy, mm -hmm. the work, you're trying to educate the parole officer and, and the prosecutor and the, the ladies in prison. So there's a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff in, in what you said. Um, the other interesting thing I think that I hear from addicts again is that instant gratification. Mm -hmm. Now you, you said I wanted, I was hoping that day to get probation. I always screw up probation and parole, but mm -hmm. to get probation. Um, and then you really had to go away. And instead of resenting that, right? Like you had an opportunity at that point to say F you to mm -hmm. anyone and everyone, but that wasn't your decision. And it took time 
and and you also called out some cool things about even when there was the bad experiences you can see in hindsight the the gratitude and and mm -hmm. how they fit into your story in your life it hadn't occurred to me until you were just sharing about working for the I don't want to mess up his title. You were working in the religious capacity. In, for the chaplain. Yep, the chaplain. For the chaplain. And then your work now kind of crosses over with that mm -hmm. in real life. So when you were speaking about that, I was like, oh, she was building a resume. That's mm -hmm. what's happening right there. There you go. Yeah. So. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. When I first went away, and, and please understand that I was pissed off when I was sentenced. I was devastated. I was furious. How could this happen? You know, don't you, I've never even had a parking ticket. I'm going to prison. Are you kidding me? I've never been unemployed. I've been working since I was 14 years old and now I'm going to prison. Oh my God. What about my mother? I, how can I do this to my family? It was devastating. However, once I got there, and I started to meet other women who were in the same boat as me. A couple of them had the same addiction as me. And their stories were far worse than mine. It's very humbling. And again, if I didn't have the work behind me, I don't think I would have survived. I truly don't think I would have. You know, for years, my friends and family would say to me, oh my God, you're so strong. You're so strong, you can handle everything. Yeah, I really couldn't. But I put on a really good facade. I put on a very, very brave face. But now, I don't have to put on that brave face because I am that brave person. And I'm very proud of who I am today. And you should it be. Took, it took me a long time to get here. Um, but I'm very grateful and very proud of who I've become. This is the Michelle I'm supposed to be. This is the Michelle I was before all of this crap happened. My one regret is that I didn't seek help all those years ago. Because I think that it may have made things a little easier. I'm not saying that it would have changed everything because I do believe I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. But it might have made things a little easier. I can't be sure, but that's my one regret. I mean, of course, I regret the fact that I ever hurt anybody because that's not who I am, but that's who my addiction turned me into. And that is very sobering to face that, that I've hurt people that I cared about and that cared about me, but I can't change it. But I can move forward and try to help one more person because anybody I can help helps me forgive me a little bit more that's a good way to look at it helps me 
forgive me a little more by helping other people. A little bit. Like you know, and this journey has also, it's given me back my creativity, which had laid dormant for a really long time. Um, I'm painting and drawing and designing logos for friends. And, <laughs> you know, it's fabulous. And I, th I think you can brag a little. What happened, <laughs> what happened in October? Oh, yes. I did, I did win a contest a fine arts contest for one of my drawings. Um, it was actually one of the ones I did while I was away because I drew every single day while I was away. I went through sketchbooks and sketchbooks and sketchbooks. Um, but it was my solace. It was my safe place. So that's what I did. I read and I'm not much of a reader, but between that and the artwork, it was, it was really good. But I'm, I'm, exactly where I'm supposed to be. I just had this conversation the other day with my executive director and we were talking about experiences and I said, every one of my experiences led me right, right here, right. This is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And she said to me, she goes, you are absolutely right. This is exactly where you are supposed to be. So, you know, how can I not be grateful? How can I not be just joyful? I try. I it's not to say that I don't have really crappy days because I do. I have nightmares every once in a while and wake up and I'm a little fearful of where I am. I have to look around and realize that I'm home and I'm safe. And, you know, I've accomplished an awful lot in a short amount of time being home. Um, you know, like I said, I've been home since July, end of July. I have a great job. I have my own apartment. I have my friends and family and my group. I, you know, I have my artwork. It's fantastic. There's so much to be grateful for, so much to be thankful for. You I know, love, I love that attitude. You know, I, and like even in light of what's going on now with this virus, you know, like my experiences of recent has really helped me prepare for this. You know, it's it's completely out of my control. So I can control what I can control and that's it. And it, it helped, it helped me. It actually gave me a lot of lessons. So I have to try to take some type of positive away from it. I think there's a lot of positives. There's certainly a lot of negatives. Don't get me wrong. It's not, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Right. But, um, you know, I try. I, I feel the same way. I feel having that belief that we are exactly where we're supposed to be helps alleviate the fear. I mm -hmm. feel that way. Like if I'm supposed to get coronavirus and die, then that's what's supposed to happen. And that's mm -hmm. supposed to happen for whatever that reason is, whether I know mm -hmm. it or not. Um, I'm also choosing to believe if I was supposed to get it, I would get it when I was ahead of the curve in Asia. So I keep telling myself, mm -hmm. oh, I'm not going to get it. So, um, and, and it's not a place of ignorance. It's almost a right. place of faith and, and yeah. comfort and, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough though. It's, it's really tough. Um, us having really a friend tough. in common in the hospital, you know. I just, yeah, that's very scary, you know, but it, it, again, it's out of our control and you can only keep your faith and I pray and, you know, it's, uh, I've, to me, per, me personally, just for me, I've faced a lot worse, right. you know, and 
it, it, it's like when people talk to me about, like, I have restitution to pay. I'll be paying restitution for the rest of my life. I have a life sentence on this sentence. And it's only money. I pay what I can pay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I have to pay taxes. In case anybody's curious, you do have to pay taxes on any money that you steal. So I'll be paying taxes for the rest of my life on this money as well. So I have a constant reminder of what I did and where my actions took me. It's a constant reminder that in itself will hopefully stop me from gambling. That reminder, every paycheck, but that's what I have to do. And I I don't want to say I don't like paying bills, but it's life. You pay them, you know, and it's another responsibility and it's another reminder again of exactly where my addiction brought me. So do you still go to three meetings a week? Is your attendance still perfect? It is not. Well, why not, Michelle? What's that about? Uh, That's because I went to three meetings a week and I wrote three letters a week so that I could live my life. You know, so I go to, I was going to meetings and they canceled my one meeting that I went to. And I was going to go to the next meeting on Tuesdays, but now we have this virus. We have to wait. But I did go to the meeting yesterday online, which was great. Um, I go like every other Saturday because I work all week long and I have my two days on the weekends. And you know what? Saturdays I get my hair done and I go for a ride in the car or whatever. And so I have to live my life. But it doesn't mean I'm not connected and it doesn't mean I don't use the thread, which I use constantly as a, you know, I check in. I make sure that people are okay, and I know it's always there in case I need help. Um, I know that everybody's a phone call away. In case they don't remember what the threat is from Brett's episode, in case they didn't hear it from our Brett, what's the threat again? The threat is a community-based text messaging service that we all use to check in on each other and to... Uh, Bobby posts readings every morning and uh, everybody posts, you know, good morning. And uh, if anybody's struggling, it's a way for everybody to keep in contact and reach out to everybody in case you need help or in case you just want to say hello. Um, And it's, it's a wonderful tool to use and it's, you don't have to always use it, but you know, it's always there and it's a perfect safety net and utilize those tools. You know, utilize the thread and utilize the meeting, certainly. I can't wait till we can get back to being face-to-face. But yesterday, we, we did a Zoom meeting. It was great. It was, it was wonderful. I, I was so excited. I can't wait till Wednesday. So, you know, there's those things. And, you know, take the positive and, and walk away and realize that there's so much, there's so much better out there. There is. And... I purposely brought that up because I'm a, also a believer in the self-care and the living your life and stuff. And Michelle, you've definitely earned that right. And I'm glad that you're taking advantage of it. And it's also so significant in our recovery mm-hmm. uh, to know that we deserve it, you know, and then to enjoy those things that aren't centered around mm-hmm. a casino. Or, mm-hmm. that or whatever. So that's why I put it up. It wasn't to, to break to the world that yeah. you don't have perfect attendance anymore. <laughs> no, I do not have perfect attendance anymore. But I have taken other steps as well, you know, to keep myself safe. 
um, in March of 2017, just a couple of months after I started going to the center, I utilized the ex um, exception or exemption from the New York State casinos, and I banned myself for lifetime from all New York State casinos. I did that on my own, and I I chose lifetime because even though you're given the option to what is it like one year, three years, five years, whatever, you know, I'm not going to be able to gamble responsibly in one year, three years, five years. I will never be able to gamble responsibly again. So why not just take it right out and remove the opportunity? Um, I certainly will never do anything that will put me at risk forever having to step foot back in a prison or a jail. And that would have been the first thing for me to do. First of all, it's a violation of my parole. And secondly, I banned myself. So I think it's trespassing. So I'm not taking those chances, but I don't even have the opportunity. And I honestly don't think about it. Thank God. So, you know, that was a big step for me. And I remember doing it and thinking, I felt like I, if I did it, I was giving up control and I was giving up power. And the minute I signed that piece of paper, I realized that I was, it was completely the opposite. I was taking control. And I felt the power and it was a very liberating feeling. And I was so proud of myself for doing it. And I'm not saying that everybody should do it, but for me, it was a very empowering moment. Oh, I, I'm very thrilled that you shared that because I have not gone through it yet. Um, not because I'm against it or feel one way or another, but I don't have that experience to share with everyone. Mm -hmm. In my mind, and I probably shouldn't even say this because I would hate for anybody to think this way, um, I had thought that I was giving the concept of it power, mm -hmm. uh, meaning, you know, why do I, why do I have to or whatever? And I very well may do it. I don't, it, it's just a matter of probably doing the paperwork. It doesn't matter one way or another in my mind, but I love what you said about it giving you power mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah it, it was really the complete opposite of what I thought because I felt you know and honestly I thought well maybe if I do it they won't send me to prison so I'll prove that I'm not going to gamble again mm. and you know I really I had a lot of a lot of thoughts about that but I did it because when I actually sat down and really thought about it and really looked at myself I realized that look what's happening to your life. Yeah. Don't put yourself in harm's way. So, and I, and I did, I did actually have that opposite reaction. It, I felt very empowered by it. And so I was grateful for that. I'm very that. grateful for that. And, you know, we all talk about surrender and the fact that we have a disease of the brain. And I, and I think I talked about this a couple of meetings ago, how I really thought that that was a crack of shit you know, when I first got there, um, <laughs> that it was a disease of the brain that, you know, I wasn't going to give into that because that's just an excuse for my ridiculous behavior, my horrible, you know, my horrible choices and decisions. Um, it was easier to hate myself and to think that I was a piece of crap for what I did than to say, oh, I have a disease in my brain that kind of dictated what my choices would be. Not that it's an excuse by any means for my behavior, because it's not. It's an explanation of how I could have veered so far from my own moral compass 
and that's all it is. It's an explanation. It's not an excuse. And when I came to terms with that, it was easier for me to surrender to the idea that I do have a disease in my brain that I have to be conscious of all the time. And that awareness is paramount to my continued recovery. And that's what I focus on every day. I'm with you. And this could bring us in a whole other direction. <laughs> um, but I do want to ask you one. I'm going to try to simplify this. I'll ask you one thing about this. So from what I've heard or feel like I've learned about the brain and stuff is the basic pretense of, and I'm not a scientist. I always preface it that way. I'm not a scientist. I just kind of regurgitate what I'm learning. But essentially, we get our dopamine hits when we're gambling and betting. Mm -hmm. So this ties into the self-care piece. So what have you traded? Like what gives you your dopamine nowadays? What is your self-care routine? What does that look like? I heard drawing and mm -hmm. hair but is there anything else that you do that helps you sustain life and give you the good feelings on the inside? You know, I, I really think it's, I don't want to sound so like I'm, you know, this great person, but I just, I just try to find kindness and it makes me happy. If I can do something for somebody else, go out of, you know, just kindness, just simple kindness to try to, the, the people that we serve, the agency that I work for, we serve a population that are completely struggling with addiction and things like that. And to learn, to have been where I was and to be able to be in the position I am now to just treat people with kindness and with no judgment and accept people for where they are at in their life at that particular moment is so, it's so hard to explain it. I just feel that I'm being the best person that I can be and it makes me happy and it gives me peace. And if I can find that peace within myself and find that freedom within my own soul, then it's a really good day. Oh my goodness. That's powerful. I love it. Okay. I wouldn't have ever thought of kindness as a self-care just to put it in that bucket. So mm -hmm. that was beautiful. You know, when I talk to clients on the phone and they're, they're calling for somebody and they're frustrated because they can't get a hold of somebody. And if I can just, you know, be really nice and feel that I've made a difference or an impact in their life, you know, and I'm not by any means any type of care manager or anything like that. I'm an office manager, but I have a lot of contact with clients. And if I can make one of them feel better, it, it's great. It's fantastic. I could, because I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And again, it just circles back to that. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Wow. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share? Okay. Just how grateful I am. I really am truly grateful. Well, I'm grateful to know you and I appreciate you okay. taking this time today to chat. So um, thank you very much for being here. And Thanks. who knows, maybe we'll check in with you again down the road. Wouldn't that be great? That would. Thanks, okay. Michelle. 
as part of my process, I get to listen to the shows a second time when I'm editing. And I ended up just writing down a few because there were so many, so many nuggets of wisdom and recovery funness. Is that a word (laughs) that Michelle put out there? And some of the notes I took was how brave she was, how she's, you know, she's faced contemplating suicide. She's faced jail. And GA, we say, you know, that gambling will take us to insanity, prison, or death. And, you know, two out of three is not a good score to have, folks. And the other thing that really, I don't know if you caught this or not, but it's so beautiful, is how much gratitude she has for everything. Every experience, you know, knowing that it was difficult in the moment, but but just having that gratitude of where she is on the other side. And I know that myself and my other, you know, the other members of our group, I think we all feel that same gratitude for having Michelle as part of our recovery journey. I know I, I'm so super happy to know her and so grateful for her insight. And she just has, you know, the a sweet personality in addition. So really great having her on. I think the universe picked out the the perfect quote, not just because of the content, but the author, according to the right-hand corner, is inmateshopper.com, which I never heard of before this moment. So here goes. I'm stronger because I had to be. I'm smarter because of my mistakes happier because of the sadness I've known and now wiser because I've learned. So beautiful people, I hope that it doesn't take you to the depths of Michelle's despair and journey to learn the damage that gambling can do. You heard her say her only regret is she wished she was on the path sooner, but she also recognizes she's right where she's supposed to be. So Thank you for beautiful people for listening. As always, if you get a moment to subscribe or write a review, that would be super fantastic. And until next week, have a good one.